This weekend is too beautiful to be quiet, right? It is like a perfect weekend here in May. If you're listening online, you're missing out. If you don't live in Memphis, Tennessee, because it has been beautiful this weekend. Hope y'all are doing good. Anybody graduate this weekend? All right, go ahead and stand up. We all want to celebrate you. Stand up if you graduated this weekend. Josh, yep. Daryl, Jared, Patrick, way to go, guys. Um, really proud of you, and your moms are proud of you, too, and your dads. And, but we, as your church family, super proud of you. Um, way to go. That's awesome. Um, I think I should be doing graduation thing every weekend for the next three weeks. I probably should have done it last weekend, too. But if I missed you... Um, we're proud of you too, all right? So I got good news for you this morning, and that is that God loves you. Uh, he loves you so much, more than you ever know. And I know that's why you've come to worship this morning. Uh, if you come with questions in your heart this morning about uh, God and his love for you, I just want you to put those questions aside. He loves you. He loves you so much that he gave uh, his only son, Jesus, for you, that you might have the opportunity to believe in him and receive uh, newness of life from him. Life is not defined by who we are, but who he is. Not defined by what we have done, but by what he has done for us. Uh, not by our failure, but by his grace. And not by what we could ever achieve, but by what he has perfectly achieved for us. And uh, I am just so thankful for the grace, like we sang just a minute ago, the glorious, the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you're in relationship with Jesus, that you have put your heart and life in his hands and that you know his love and his grace that covers a multitude of sins because he came to live for you that you might have his righteousness, to die for you that you might have his forgiveness of sin and to rise again that you might have his newness of life. Christianity is not about us trying to get ourselves together for Jesus. We cannot get ourselves together, but friends, he has come that he might make us completely new. And so I just pray today that you know his glorious grace, not by what we've done, but by what he has done for us. Let me just pray as we move into our time in the word together. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your glorious grace. We come as as debtors, as sinners, Lord, knowing that we are undeserving, knowing that you are high and lifted up, you are worthy. And Lord, our only plea is a plea of, of grace, of mercy, And we thank you, God, that you and your love have looked upon us in our helpless estate and have given to us everything, everything. You held nothing back, Lord. You and your love, we can't understand it, cannot explain it. We certainly don't deserve it. But, Lord, it is the reality and the hope of our life that you have come near to us, that you have given everything. You have opened your heart and opened the storehouses of the riches of your grace that you came yourself to live for us, to enter into our humanity, to live the life that we need to live, that we might have that life, Lord. Perfection and righteousness before you. You came to die the death that we deserve to die. Jesus, by your grace, you went to the cross. You didn't deserve that. It was us that deserved to be there, Lord. And in your love, you poured out your life taking the condemnation and wrath and the judgment that we deserve because of our failure and our rebellion and our disgust of our heart and wickedness toward you, our choice to disobey you time and time again, Lord. You took it all and you paid the price for it all in our place so that in your love you might say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. It is finished. Everything needed to be completely right with you and completely clean of all of our sin. Thank you, God, for your love. 
And Jesus, you put it away by your death. You died the death we deserve and you rose again on the third day to newness of life. Jesus, you are not dead anymore. You are alive. You are a victorious savior. And as we pray to you now, you hear our prayer and intercede at the right hand of the father according to the will of God. You are asking right now that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And so Jesus, we thank you that we pray to a living and victorious king. And we thank you, Jesus, that in your hands is power to give us life, to change our hearts, to make us new, to fill us with the very fullness of God, to to be with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your love. So we come to you today just with a heart of praise and thanks for your grace, God. Thank you, God, that you meet with us now, that you draw near to us. Thank you for your living word that you want to speak to us. And Lord, that you're still at work in our hearts and lives, that we might know you and that our life might be redeemed to have a purpose for you, God. Or we don't want to just go through the motions of a, of a service, Lord. We, we really are begging you now that we might meet with you and hear from you and be ministered to by you and be changed and convicted of our sin and move closer to you, God. And that our life today would be different, that we would leave here today with the Holy Spirit empowerment to make much of you in our world. Jesus, we ask that you would meet with us and we thank you that for those who draw near, you draw near. And for those who have a heart that's ready to receive the seeds of your word, Lord, that you can plant those seeds and they can go deep and that they can bear fruit. Thank you, Lord. So we're just dependent upon you and your Holy Spirit. And we ask that our eyes be fixed upon you and your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Acts is where we are. If you've got your Bibles, I ask you to turn them open to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. I I am not teaching through um, a thorough series of the book of Acts. We've done that before uh, today. And we are continuing our series, Resurrection of Fact. And we're just looking at six ways that the resurrection of Jesus radically changes our life. We've been asking the question... What would be different about your life today if Jesus had not raised from the dead? How radical is the resurrection of Jesus? We talk a lot about the death of Christ and it is, it is, it is so important. But the fullness, the full gospel also includes the resurrection of Christ because we don't worship a Savior who just died, but we worship a Savior who also rose again to newness of life. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. But what is different? What is markedly different about your life and about our life together as the church because Jesus rose from the dead? And I've been walking through, we're in our third week now, talking about some of these things. We have looked at the fact that the resurrection brings us purpose and and vision. We've looked at the fact that last week that the resurrection of Jesus brings power to our life through the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be looking at our third as we look at our text in Acts chapter 3. And we're going to read through some of chapter 4. So y'all hold on. We're going to read a lot. We're going to walk through it together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. 
Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them and walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as is the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all of the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong who you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed of these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed.
God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they they came upon them greatly annoyed because they had been teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. Wow. What impact does the resurrection of Jesus make in your life? What impact? As you wake up every day, do you think about the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead? And because he's been raised from the dead, there is a radical transformative power and effect in your life today. What impact does Jesus make in our lives, in your life, because he's been raised from the dead? Like I said, in the first week, we talked about how he brings vision and purpose to our life. Last week, we talked about how he brings power to our life through the Holy Spirit. And today, what I want to talk to you about is how the resurrection of Jesus brings compassion into our life. So if you've got something to write with, and I hope you do, uh, whether it's in your app, so cool, or in your notes, um, on your phone, whatever it is, I hope you'll, you'll take some notes today. Just take notes on what the Lord is speaking to you today. But here's the word that I want us to focus on today, which is compassion. And it may not be the word that you were thinking as we read the passage, um, but I want to hone in on, on, on this because it is something that I see um, very clearly as a radical effect that's been brought into our lives uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Compassion. Uh, compassion, you know, the word that we use in English comes from the Latin word uh, formed of, of two words, cum and, and patty, um, and it just means essentially suffering with. Cum with, patty, suffer, to suffer with. So if you're writing a definition, you could just write compassion to suffer with. Um, and honestly, in our, in our lives, um, you know, compassion... Henry Nowen wrote a little book called Compassion. It, is, it, is, it has had a radical impact. I remember reading it years and years ago, and I've been rereading it, and it is so deep. It's one of those, y'all should get it. Henry Nowen, it's called Compassion. It's, it's, he's, there's like two other authors, but he's like the most famous, so I usually just remember the most famous one. Um, it's one of those books that's just so dense that it just takes a long time to explore, if y'all know what I'm talking about. But... He basically says, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. 
Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Compassion to suffer with. Now, honestly, um, I know you well enough because I know myself. (laughs) One of the greatest problems in our life, apart from Jesus Christ and what he can do, is that we fundamentally lack compassion in our lives. Now, I know you're going to easily rise up and defend yourself and say, well, that's just not true of me. I'm a, I, we tend to think of ourselves as good people. Anybody not think of themselves as a good person? Okay, if, well, that's a, that's a hard question to ask in a crowd. Sorry. Um, everybody would be like moving a little bit away from you like, okay, you know. Um, we tend to think of ourselves as better than we actually are. But the reality is we do have a fundamental problem in our life apart from Jesus. And that is that we are not, apart from Jesus, okay, We are not compassionate people. You are not a naturally compassionate person. It is one of the effects of sin in your life and in our world. It has really royally screwed things up. But our natural human condition, apart from Christ, is in fact very unhuman, inhuman. What is that word? Inhuman. Yeah, thank you. Um, It is not humane. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Um, We are not, we just lack compassion. We are more, here's, here's what drives our life. Competition. Not compassion. We tend to be self-oriented, not others-oriented, and we are much more driven by our competitive nature than we are compassionate nature. We, think, we, we, like, we form our whole identity on how distinct and different we can be from other people. You are the difference that you can make in the world. What makes you special is how different you are from other people. Now, I celebrate the distinctiveness of the body of Christ. I'm not trying to say that, all right? You can pick apart some, a lot of the things that I'm saying, but the reality is, is that we do pride ourselves. We, we, do, we are much more driven by competition than compassion. And a lot of times, the compassion that we have, and now and speaks to this in the book, but the, the, the tinge of compassion that we have, it is just a tinge. It is just part of the life as a whole. Our life is not centered around, uh, marked by this, this dwelling compassion. It, it forms a part of our existence, but typically that compassion comes in in light of the competition, We feel sorry for people who don't make it in the competitive environment that we've set up for ourselves. We feel sorry for the guy who fails the test because it's a competitive environment, the academic environment, and we, we, our heart goes out for people who don't make it competitively. Our compassion then is, is informed by our competition. And it's really not pure compassion at all and it's a it is a major issue that we have apart from 
from Christ, we don't, don't tend to move to, toward suffering with other people. It is, it is not the natural flow of humanity to move. It, it just feels almost the antithesis of the individual freedom that we feel in our gut compelled toward. To give up that freedom and to give up the pursuit of, of better and higher and more recognition and more status in order that we might suffer? Embrace willingly the crud of other people's lives? Enter into brokenness and sorrow. That's a downward movement. That is not what our culture speaks to us. And so what we end up with is a lot of times good Christian people sometimes who treat compassion like a field trip, we're still moving in the the competitive stuff is still driving us and the upward mobility is still driving us and we field trip over here to compassion and we help people who aren't able to help themselves and we do all the feel good, compassionate stuff, quote unquote. But all the while we fundamentally haven't changed because that compassion is just an outworking of our competition. When God is saying, no, I've created you not to be competitive at all. I've created you to have a heart and life that is driven around compassion. And it's a problem with us that we don't naturally feel that. We aren't naturally driven toward that. And we gotta fig- we've got to figure out how to unmask this illusion of our competitive selfhood. Now, I say all that to say, I got good news for you today, right? Because our God is through and through not competitive at all. He is through and through to the very core of his being a compassionate God. Aren't you so thankful? I'm telling you today that the God who is, who was and is and is to come, the only true one in all of the world is a compassionate God. He is marked by a nature of entering in to suffer with. Luke chapter six, verse 36. We're gonna get to Acts chapter three, okay? Some of y'all are thinking, good gracious, that was a long passage you just read and he hasn't even started teaching through it. Okay, it's gonna be okay. Promise we'll be out by the time spring picnic starts at five. So, Luke chapter six, uh, verse 36. Anybody know that verse? You might want to write it down or just mark it in case, uh, in case you don't know it. But w- be merciful, Jesus says. Oh, it's on the screen. Some of, y- some of y'all are starting to go with it. I'm like, okay, now I'm proud of the church. Um, hey, just as a side note. I'm, I shouldn't use this as a side note, but do, do spend time reading your Bible. It's something I try to say every week. There's not, you know, I love teaching God's word. There's nothing that replaces your time in God's word every day. Just sitting with God, listening to him from his word. It's, it's the best. So Luke chapter six, verse 36. Y'all say this with me. Be merciful as your father is merciful. One more time. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Um, 
Another way to say this, so this word merciful actually comes from a, of a, another root word in Greek that is the word for compassionate. So you can translate this accurately, be compassionate even as your father is compassionate. I'm so thankful. You know, one of the things that, one of the mistakes that we make often as we go to God's word is we will listen to the instructions of Jesus and turn it into a moralistic behavior code rather than listening to the heart behind those instructions, which is to teach us that we can't get there on our own, but God, only God has to transform us to be what he calls us to be. He's not calling us to do, he's calling us to be. And that requires a transformation from the inside out. So we hear this sometimes we think, oh, I gotta be merciful, I gotta be compassionate. And he is calling us to that. But the, first, the bigger thing that he's helping us to see is our heavenly father is compassionate. That's the bigger picture of what this instruction is all about. Do you see, Jesus is asking, do you know the compassion of God? Oh, I want you to know the wonderful compassion, the wonderful nature driving force of your heavenly father. He is a compassionate God. He's the best. Do you know him? That's the driving heart behind what he's trying to say to us. I'm so thankful that we have a God um, who is a compassionate God who has chosen to be with us. If you think about it in your life, I was thinking about in my life, you know, when do you get, when do you find the most care and consolation in life? I was thinking about the many funerals that I've been to. I was born with all four of my great grandmothers. My dad and my mom have been primarily responsible for the most part of all of those great grandmothers because of some issues that were happening uh, in my family. And so, much of my life from the time that I could, earliest I could remember, we had uh, elderly women living in our house, my great-grandmothers, and we watched each of them one by one. I still have one great-grandmother who's still alive, 100 this year. Isn't that amazing? So Caroline has a great, great-grandmother. That's pretty cool. Just saying, I never had a great-great-grandmother. I think it's really cool. Um, anyway, I digress. But we've had um, great-grandmothers living with us. I say all this to say, a lot of my life um, I has, been, has been marked by uh, watching these ladies who I love so much um, get sick because almost all of them were old when I was born. And so one by one in our house, you know, seeing them get sick and suffer with illness and disease and eventually death. And so death was just, it became part of the reality of, of my life. And I remember um, especially for the great-grandmother that... Um, was in my life in my middle school and high school years. Sorry, I didn't expect to get emotional, but she, um, very close to me, her name was Mama Jane. And so if you know Caroline, her middle name is Jane. And it's because um, she, she meant so much to me and just had a special place in my life. But I'll never forget... Um, I had left her and my family to move off to college. And in that first year of college, um, Mama Jane got very sick. And I was so grieved, like many people who are when they're far, far away from family and you can't go back and be there all the time. I had to continue classes, but then getting the call that she had died and 
going through the motions of that, it was the first real taste of, of someone, and I remember in my kind of more mature adult type years, uh, dying who was extremely close to me. And I'll never forget the overwhelming grief and sorrow, just the tear just sitting and just, just shaking and sobbing, just feeling so overwhelmed with grief. And I'll never forget being at that funeral and, and having literally y'all, I, I just couldn't believe it. There were people who had rented buses, friends and family of ours who had just rented buses. The funeral was back in my great grandmother's hometown, which is like four hours from where I had grown up and where most of our friend and family base was and even more hours from where I went to school. And having people show up um, in herds just to say that they cared, just to be with us. You want to know the greatest care and consolation that we in our human experience find? It's not usually when people try to teach us or coach us or offer us good advice or try to say, okay, patch on the back, it's going to be fine, you'll get through it or whatever. It's just people who enter into our human experience and are willing just to be with us, just to sit with us, just to show up. And to say, you know, I don't know what to say right now. And I don't know what to do. But I'm telling you one thing. I am here. And I will be here with you. I'm not going anywhere. I will be here with you through this. I'm here. Do y'all resonate with that at all? Those are the moments in our human experience that we receive. We know we receive the most care and consolation. And it's often in those dark moments of our life, those difficult moments where we will, we will often say, you know what? Nobody can understand what I'm going through right now. I want somebody to understand. We want a hand that reaches out to touch us. We want an embrace. We want someone who's gone through things with the exact thing we've gone through who can get it. But we often refuse other people's help and companionship because we think they just can't possibly understand. Yet all the while our heart aches for people who do understand and can walk with us in the crap of our life. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's reality. And one of the, the most amazing things about our glorious God is that he shows up in our human experience as a fellow human. And he says, I want to call him Emmanuel. His name shall be called God is with us. God, God is with us. He has come to enter in to our experience to to enter in into our brokenness and our mess and our our failure, and and to sit with us. And yes, Jesus came and he does a lot of wonderful, miraculous things. He offers so much to people and he teaches and he helps us and all of this. But friends, don't miss the precious reality that at the core of our God is just a God who's come to say, I'm here. I'm with you. I love you. I get you. I want to walk with you. My name is Emmanuel. And when you get to start calling, I'm telling you, if you get to a place of intimacy with God where you can pray to him as your Emmanuel, I'm telling you, it is a transformative experience to know that you are praying to one who is with you. He is with you. He walks with you. He knows you. He gets you. 
in any area that he applies power or wants to transform your life is an area that he himself gets, understands, experiences, and he has the ability to transform you. Isn't that beautiful about God? So, this, be merciful, be compassionate, but underneath that is this, do you know that your, your heavenly Father is compassionate? This is our God. Jesus, who is God, has come to us in the freedom of love. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He chose to, like Philippians 2, instead of moving and holding on to everything that he could attain, the get, 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 get competitive mentality. We have a God who, who chooses to let go of the opportunity that's before him to be self-serving and to be selfless and sacrificial, moving the opposite direction toward our brokenness, toward our need, toward understanding and sitting with us and dwelling with us in, in the pity of our human condition and failure that he might be with us. And that in doing that, he might have the opportunity to lift us out by what he has done for us. Isn't that beautiful about God? It is beautiful. So, but then, all right, so we're, we're about to get to Acts 3. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> The foundation, I'm telling you, um, if we spend 80% of our time on the character of God, 20% of our time on the behavior that comes out of knowing the character of God, that would be a right proportion. The problem with our life is that we don't know God enough. When you get to know God, your behavior will change, friends. When you get to know who God is, everything else flows out of that. So I don't apologize for spending, I hope it's 80% of my time uh, on who got it, but compassion of God. So, but here we are with Jesus, okay? And Jesus says, be compassionate as my heavenly father is compassionate. So here it goes back to your and my fundamental problem is that we don't live out of a place of compassion. We are driven more to competitiveness than compassion. So as Jesus says, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. He is calling us to a radical conversion. He is not saying, here's a plan for how to get your behavior in line with mine. He's saying, you ain't going to ever do it. You cannot just put this on your checklist. Be nice to somebody today. Help the unfortunate. You know, help those who can't help themselves. Like, this is not a checklist kind of thing. He's saying, you need to be converted, wholly transformed, radically changed. You can't get there on your own from where you are. You've got to have Jesus change you in your heart and in your mind to be something that you're not. In other words, he wants to infuse his compassion into you that you might have compassion once again in your life. For that's how he originally created us as humans to be. You see? Be compassionate. The main point today is this, that Jesus has the power to restore compassion into our lives. 
Jesus has the power to restore compassion into our lives. Now, let me connect this to the resurrection. Some of y'all are thinking, I don't even know what, how we got here. Here's how it all connects. When Jesus died in the most extreme display of the Father's love and entry into our brokenness, identification with our sin, he became sin. Our sin. He took on our sin. You want to talk about compassion. When he died in the fullest display of the Father's heart and life of compassion, and not just any death, death on a cross like Philippians 2. The Bible says that after he died, he was raised to newness of life. And when he raised, Philippians 2 talks about, he is now exalted. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Listen, when he raised from the dead, guess what that yields for us? It yields power, like Wade talked about last week. Power. For our lives, for you today, for you tomorrow morning when you wake up, and Tuesday before you go to work, and Wednesday when you're helping your kid, and Thursday when you're in argument with your spouse, and Friday when you see the homeless guy on the side of the street and he asks you for money, there is power now in our everyday life to do in us something that we can never do for ourselves, and that is to transform us, to transform us to be compassionate as he is compassionate. Let me tell you, friends, Jesus, because of the resurrection from the dead, Jesus has power to restore compassion into your life. Isn't that good news? He has power to shake you free from the bondage of self-serving individualistic, I'm gonna pursue what's good for me and me only, competitive mentality and drive. He's got power to bring a newness of heart and life and mind to you that is shaped by his heart of compassion to where you genuinely, from the depth of your heart, move to enter into others' brokenness as he has moved and entered into ours. To suffer with. He has power to restore compassion to our lives. Now let's get back to Acts 3. There are three very, very, very simple principles. I almost felt silly writing the sermon because I thought this is too simple. But you know what I felt convicted about? It is so simple, but yet I don't fully understand it. Now, I'm going to pull out just a few verses at the start of chapter 3. Now, I'm just going to retell this story because you heard it. We're not going to look at the whole sermon. Don't you worry. Y'all checking your time. You're going, oh, Lord, are you going to teach you that whole sermon that Peter preached? No, I'm not going to. Just chill out. Goodness gracious. Chill out, okay? Just a few little verses. Now, I want to talk to you about the nature of compassion. The first step is knowing that he's compassionate. I mean, you don't know him. You're not in relationship with Jesus. You don't have the Holy Spirit power in your life. This is all going to just be like behavior code for you, and you can't just do these things. You need the Holy Spirit's power. But I want to tell you what happens when the Holy Spirit's power comes into your life as you trust and know Jesus. These are the things that happen. Number one, compassion. Compassion 
is marked with a, a personal identity with others. I think it's, can you put that up on the screen? Compassion moves us to personally identify with others. That's the first point. Simple, simple. Compassion moves us to personally identify with others. Two dudes, Peter and John. Right after the Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, something radical happens where they get changed by Holy Spirit power. And I don't think it's coincidence that right after that, here is Peter who just stands in front of thousands and preaches on his way to the temple to pray. And what happens? A lame man, verse 2, from birth being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. It's called the beautiful gate, and he's asking alms to those who are going into the temple. Peter and John, head of this new movement of Christianity, the explosion that happens as hearts and lives are being changed by the Holy Spirit as he fell on the day of Pentecost. Two now very important crucial figures in all of this, but the Bible takes time to tell us something about something else that happens after they are radically transformed by the Holy Spirit's power. And that is as they're on their way to the temple, the place that I'm sure that they really needed to be or in their minds they're thinking, I really need to be. Suddenly they pass a guy. Now, I don't know about you, but we pass guys all the time here in Memphis. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So don't divorce this from your everyday experience. You pass guys at a stoplight all the time and they're on the side of the road and a lot of you know their faces. You might even know their names. You know what their sign's gonna say because you've passed them 20 times at that same red light or on that same street corner. Y'all know who I'm talking about. This is their experience. They're on the way. Probably a familiar route in the temple. I bet the guy is not the first time that he's been there because later we learn that people recognize the guy as the guy who sits by the beautiful gate. But here's something radical that happens on this particular day after the transformation of the Holy Spirit power is that suddenly they get prompted to see this guy. They're... They, Move to personally identify with this guy. Now, first thing you should just note here is that Jesus prompts us toward compassion. There are times that the Holy Spirit is gonna say to you, you need to stop see this guy. Wade talked about that last week. I don't have time to do that. There are times that Jesus is gonna say, I have put him here that you might suffer with him, that you might personally identify with him. Jesus prompts us toward that. But the amazing thing is Peter and John, Here's another part of this, personally identifying with people. They put aside their plans in order to seek the good of this person. And if you want to be compassionate and personally identify with people, I'll tell you one thing. You're going to be inconvenienced. You're going to be disrupted. And compassion is always willing to be disrupted for the good of someone else. There is never a time in your life that you just get in the car and you just go in nowhere. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Has anybody just get in the car and go nowhere? You always have somewhere to be. You're always heading somewhere. In your life, you are a planner. You are working towards something every moment of every day. And often we totally miss the opportunities for compassion around us because we're so driven toward our plan that we cannot be interrupted. But let me tell you, compassion requires that we be interrupted and disrupted as Jesus prompts us because... 
If we're not, we're going to end up like all those in Luke chapter 10 who pass by on the other side of the road instead of the one who chooses to stop, to be inconvenienced, to be disrupted, and to personally identify with that good Samaritan. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So Peter and John, prompted by Jesus, taking a moment to stop their plans, seeking the good of another, and they're not looking at the masses at this point. They're looking at one man. And I want to tell you, if you spend your whole life just thinking about big numbers of people, but you don't take time to stop and look every individual in the eyes and see a name and a face and know behind that name and face there's a story and a life and a heart and a soul that really matters for all eternity, you will never, ever get compassion. Jesus looked out in the crowds, yes, and he had compassion, it says in the Gospel of Mark. But let me tell you why he had compassion on the crowds is because that crowd was made up of one by one by one by one by one. And he saw all of them. Sometimes in our jobs, in our workplaces, in our patient rooms, in our classrooms, we just get huddled in masses. But friends, compassion calls us to see every individual to know them, to care. How many other beggars that day on the street do you think there were? I bet there were a lot. This was a busy place. But Jesus prompts Peter and John to disrupt their plans, to not just look at all the beggars, but to see this one. And they were moved, part of personally identifying, they were moved to respond to his need. They entered in. Seeing Peter and John, this guy is, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directs his gaze at him, it says in verse four. As did John and said, look at us. It says the guy fixes attention on them expecting to receive something from them. They take a minute to enter in, to identify with, to suffer with. And Peter and John moved with compassion. Didn't expect to be here this day. <laughs> they didn't. This was not a plan. They said, he, they could have just easily passed by her, said, no, we don't have money. How many times on the street do I just say, you know, I don't have money. Sorry, I don't have a dollar. Just dismiss you. Don't even care. I don't even look at people's eyes. I don't even take time to understand. Why are you asking me for money? What's gotten you here? What's your story? What are you really wanting? Do you really want my money? I've just made a judgment about you that you don't want money. You want drugs. You want booze, I'm not gonna give you money. But is it really, why are you, even if it's drug and booze, maybe you do want food. Do I even know if they really want money for food or have I just dismissed them? What are you seeking? Why are you seeking that? What has gotten you here? That is compassion. And Peter and John look at the guy, they gaze at him. This is not just a quick moment here. This is, an, this is a meaningful interaction. And they, they say, you know what, God, we, we don't have, um, and I, they're not going to lie, we don't have silver or gold. We don't have something to put in your bucket. But I'll tell you what we do have. We know Jesus. 
We know Jesus. I'm telling you, this, I have a witness. This thing just really happened. God has compassion on us, and he, he came down to enter with us. Jesus just lived with us for years. We know him, and he's God, and he suffered with us, and he suffered in our place. He gets you. He gets you, dude. He gets you. And he went to the cross for you, and he died for you. But friend, he, he rose again, and he's got power to change your life. And I don't know what you're asking right now, but I'm telling you what I have to give, and that is something more than silver and gold here. I want to talk to you about Jesus because he's the best. And I just want to enter into your story right now to help you know who I know because I'm telling you, even if you have nothing in life, if you have Jesus, you're good, man. It'd be better for you to have Jesus than silver or gold. I, I really mean that. So I want to give you what we have. I'm just entering into, and can we, can we talk now about Jesus? And more than that, he, he reaches down and he grabs the guy's hand. He says, I, 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 I'll tell you, in the name of Jesus, you can stand up and walk. And we could talk all day about miracles and you know, I'm sure you got a bunch of questions about this. Are you saying this is what we can do to the people on the street? Okay, we'll talk about that later. But here's what he's doing. He's entering in and he's offering not, he's not offering Peter and John's compassion. They're not offering their own compassion. You know what they're offering? The very compassion of Jesus. Because they say, in the name of Jesus. In other words, this is nothing that we have. And he even stands up and says it in just a second. This is not what we've done by our religion or by our piety or by what we've done in our name. This is all about Jesus. By in the name of Jesus, I offer you not my compassion, but I offer you the very compassion of God. And he enters in and he gets it and he offers what you need right now. And you just, you stand up and walk, you be free. And this guy, this guy stands up. First thing is that Compassion leads us to personally identify with others. I want to just want to ask you, do you experience this, this outflow of the Holy Spirit's compassion in your heart and life? Do you, do you experience this? Do you experience the Holy Spirit's prompting? Do you experience a disruption of plans regularly? Are you open for that? It's not going to happen if you're not. Are you open for that? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you open for that? Do you experience looking at just herds of people or just a name on a chart as you go in your patient room? Or do you experience the Holy Spirit's eyes helping you to see a person for who they really are? That is personally identifying. That's compassion. That's God. That's a transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this, that compassion leads to changed lives. Not only does compassion move you to personally identify with others, but compassion leads to changed lives. How did this guy's life change? Verse seven, and he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered in the temple walking and leaping and praising God. He's just skipping. I mean, just imagine. 
The guy hasn't been able to walk. He hasn't been barely noticed. He's been out there sitting, begging for what he thought he needed, but he needed freedom and liberation by the spirit and the power of Jesus. And they've entered into his mess and his brokenness, and they've seen his need. And now the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself has done something radically powerful in his life, and he is a different man, such that he stands up, And he dances, he walks, and he sings, and he shouts, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I've experienced the compassion of the living God. Isn't that great? Now, y'all are thinking, I'm not going to make any man walk this week. I will tell you this. I can tell you story after story after story of how when someone is willing, when one of us are willing to say, Jesus, My driving force is competition, not compassion. I need you today to change my life. Would you fill me with your very compassion as you've shown compassion on me? May I show compassion on others? And when that begins to happen in practical ways, I will tell you what happens. Life change. Through ordinary moments, begin a relationship as we begin to identify and suffer with and relate to people and just what they're going through. There comes opportunity to Speak to them and to help them in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, friends, is in the business of changing lives. That's what he does. I'll never forget um, the Toma family who, who were here, how long ago was that? Three years ago? Um, four years ago. Their son, Vlad, uh, we met them at St. Jude Target House and. Vlad had been fighting with cancer at St. Jude from, I think, the time he was three or four years old and had been in and out, in and out, in and out, like so many of the kids are. He experienced great successes and, oh, yay, it's gone, and then terrible crashes of relapse. And they came back to Memphis, I think it was three years ago or so, and we encountered them at St. Jude Target House. And I'll tell you, people who are compassionate in our church, I'm so proud of our church. I'm so proud of people who are willing to be prompted by Jesus to go to, to, to places in our community and just be with people in their pain. I, it, takes, it takes courage and true Holy Spirit compassion to move to places like the Target House. And our volunteers who are there every month so faithfully, they are known by those families. Those families love ICCers. We are one of their best crews because we just enter in, not with an agenda, not with like a Superman saying, we're gonna save your kid from cancer. We're just there to say, we love you and we're here. We're here. And we wanna tell you that God's here too. God's with us and he's with you. And he cares, he loves you, he cares. I don't have the answers, but I'm telling you, he's with you. He's Emmanuel, God with us. That's compassion. And what happened is with this family, long story short is, we entered in a relationship with them, and I personally got really, really involved in their family because I felt the prompting of Jesus to get involved personally. And it's hard, it was hard for me because I would rather just think about St. Jude families, sick kids. But when you get to know, and Vlad at this point is 15, 14, 20. I completely got his age wrong. All I know is he was more like a peer to me than a kid. 20 years old, Michelle corrected me. When it becomes a, a guy who can sit there and talk to you, 
Uh, it, comes, it comes really hard. You know, everything in me goes, no, 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 no. Don't get in that relationship. He's sick and he could die. You know, that's going to be hard for you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You, you, you take time for that homeless guy or whatever those people are that Jesus prompted you to be compassionate. That's going to, be, that's going to require too much of you. And everything in me, my danger radar, wah, wah, this is going to be bad. I don't, you can't fix it, Barrett. I'm a fixer. Barrett Bowden is a control freak and a fixer. Anybody else with me? All right, only one of you going to be brave. I feel great. I'm a fixer. I don't get into situations that I, I can't fix. I don't like leading in things that I can't control the outcome of. Anybody else with me? Anybody else want to be brave? Okay, good, too. We're, we're, we're making it. Um, and entering in, I, I felt overwhelmed by the compassion of God and entered into a situation that I couldn't control and an outcome that I didn't know what was going to be and entered into a genuine friendship with Vlad, their son, and Alexander, their dad. And years we sat with them and watched. And we just sat and we... And, and they were from Romania and they did not, uh, did not have knowledge of God. And they had a religious understanding but no idea of relationship. And we just sat. I spent hours there just taking them food. We do that with people. Our volunteers, ICC are just fantastic with our widows when they're in surgery centers and with St. Jude kids. We just go and just sit and just minister the compassionate presence of God. It is the very compassion of God working through us. And I'll never forget um, the night that it was soon after Caroline was born. I think it was the very week after. We're celebrating the high joys of one of the greatest, joyous, most joyous weeks of my life, becoming a dad. And I get a call. Vlad's crashing. He's crashing. Is Alexander, he just, and he was, at this point, calling multiple times a day, texting. We were really a rock for them. The ones they leaned on, but it wasn't us. It was God. And I forget going up to that hospital and getting there. And Vlad had just taken his last breath. And everything in me, I got told by the nurses. They knew I was a pastor and chaplain, I mean, caring for them. And he's just died. And I knew walking out, everything in me is like, I can't go in this room. I can't, I, I, can't, I can't bring him back to life. I got to fix this. How am I going to fix it? I don't have anything to offer them. I I've been telling them about the love and grace of Jesus. Jesus, why did you let him die? I don't know what to tell them. They're, they're not going to think that you're good and that you're true at this point, and I can't fix this situation. Everything in my flesh cried out, don't do this. But the Holy Spirit of God, by his transforming power, and it is a testimony to Jesus, not Barrett Bowden. It's a testimony to how Jesus works, moves me into that hospital room, and I have nothing to say. And I literally had thought, as a pastor, I, got a, I need a speech prepared. I need encouragement. I need advice. I got to have a scripture. I have nothing to say. And I certainly can do nothing for them at this point. I've been praying. We've been advocating prayer teams. We've been praying for resurrection power to raise Vlad up from that bed and be cured of disease. And at this point, he's, he's dead. Their son, their precious son, is lying on a bed and he is getting colder by the moment. And I just pray, God, just give me, just, just be with them through me. And I walked in, and I just, I just hugged him. And he just cried and cried and cried and cried. Uncontrolled. He was angry, and he was sad, and he was mad. and He was hopeful. It was just a crazy mix of emotions. I can't even imagine because I've never experienced it. 
and a wife was there, and then their other little precious boy, Gabby, was there. And I just, I said nothing. Y'all, I said nothing. I had nothing to say. I did nothing. I just was there. And it was hours on end. I just colored with Gabby. I couldn't talk to him because he didn't speak English. But here's what I know. The compassion of God was there in that room through me. It was not me. God was with that family through me. And it was days of grieving, walking with them to Macy's and buying out a suit for the funeral because they certainly didn't come to America thinking their son is gonna die. All that goes with it. But I'm telling you, I saw God again and again and again. Work with power through my little stupid effort. (laughs) He worked with power through the ministry of our church that is feeble and frail as it is to show compassion and love and grace to this family in their time of need. And I didn't try to fix it and I didn't try to explain it away. I just was with them. And you know, before they got on the plane to leave, something I had longed to hear Alexandru say from the time that God prompted me to first start relationship with them, he finally said, and he says, Barrett, I just want you to know that because of you and the church, I know that God is real and he loves me and he loves Vlad and he cares. Something that he had never understood. He only knew God religiously. And suddenly, through compassion, he is changed and sees now God relationally. His whole life is different. You see? That is what God does when we're willing to say, God, would you rid me of the self-driven competitive crap and would you fill me with your presence your compassion would it flow through me God I am willing would you move your presence into other people's lives through my willingness to just go to be with them and you know what God does time and time again he changes people's lives amen this is compassion and third you know what happens Compassion gives us the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. It gives us the chance to bring glory to Jesus. The third point is here on the screen. Compassion helps others see the glory of Jesus. Not just for this man. His life is changed by Peter and John, but you know who else's life has changed? Is the thousands who saw that man stand up and walk and go, whoa, Excuse me, what just happened here? You, you're, you, you're lame. You're fee. I've been working for a year. You don't just, how'd you just walk? The crowd starts gathering and they're going, they're all in all, it says. Verse nine, the people saw him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate, walking and praising God. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They are going, uh, excuse me. What just happened? And it leads to this powerful testimony from John, which we'll look at later. And 
I mean, from Peter. And Peter stands up and he goes, look, this is, this is not about what I have done or John has done. This is not even about what this guy has done for himself. This is about what Jesus does. This is about the compassionate God, Jesus. This is about what Jesus does for, for people. He, come, he enters in and he identifies with and he, he lifts people out. This is about the glory of Jesus. And Peter has this crazy opportunity to stand up and to, to make much of Jesus Christ and to offer compassion to these wicked people, the same people who put Jesus to death. He's now saying, you too, Jesus enters into your crap. You killed the guy, but even though you killed him, he died so that you might have the opportunity to be forgiven by the death that you You killed a guy, but he died there so that you could be forgiven and free. And if you would repent and turn from your evil ways, you would experience a time of refreshing just like this man has experienced. He gives glory to Jesus. You see? And it says, and that's why I read through chapter four, it says, it does not go well for Peter and John. They enter into the guy's brokenness and end up more broken. They're arrested, put in prison, but it doesn't matter because you know the end result, verse four of chapter four, but many of those who had already heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. You wanna know what happens? Because two guys are willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, to operate out of a transformative work of God in their hearts, making them compassionate, the very compassion of God flowing through them to this individual man who they enter into his brokenness, give what they have, help him know Jesus. He stands and walks. You wanna know what happens by one little event on the side of the road that day? Thousands of people are saved. A revival. Who knows the impact of what would happen if we Follow the prompting of God to be compassionate as he is compassionate. Where does that lead? The guy on the side of the road that Jesus prompts you to help, if you really take time to know him, I'm not saying it's every guy, but I'm just wondering, what's, where does that lead? What does God want to do? What could God do? I know one thing he's good at through these works of compassion, pointing other people to Jesus. Through the Toma family, they were just here for their celebration a few weeks ago, actually back in this fall, and they were telling me about how they have now had the opportunity to go and share with others. It's not perfect, friends. I'm not trying to say they've become revivalists. They've got a long way to go. But they are now at a point where Jesus is in the conversation of their life. Jesus, they're talking to me about how they have a vision to start a camp like we have in Serbia and Romania to help other people know hope in the midst of sorrow. That, I believe Jesus is at work. He's receiving glory through their lives. And it all started with a simple meal at the Target house with people from our church being prompted by Jesus to go and enter in to sorrow and brokenness and pain, not with answers, not with cures, but with an explanation and encouragement that God is with you. Beautiful, isn't it? One of the impacts of the resurrection is that Jesus has the power now to radically change us and restore compassion into our lives. Amen. And I pray that you'll personally identify with others. I pray 
that you will have opportunity to see Jesus change people's lives. And that through all of this, that in the end, he will receive much, much glory. Would you just pray right now with me as we move toward our response? Jesus, oh Jesus, I wanna know you more. I wanna know you more. I wanna understand your compassion more. Would you just pray that? I've heard this morning, you call me to be compassionate as you're compassionate, but this starts with me knowing your compassion. I want to know your compassion, God. Sometimes we don't stop just to worship God as our Emmanuel. We need to, to, to be in wonder, in awe, to, to worship How crazy is it that God, that God chooses in his love, in his complete freedom and love to enter in to your crap, to your brokenness, to your your right now, to reach out his arm, to extend his embrace, to hear from the depth of your heart and to understand offer you his love, his presence, his power. It starts with just saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You're my compassion. You're compassionate. And I praise you. Thank you for coming near. Thank you. You're my Emmanuel. You're with me. And I just want to know today, you've got to make a choice. You know, you can pray or not pray this your life is going to depend on whether you are willing to pray this now and every day. But I want to know if you want to pray that God would radically change you. I mean, radically change you. Like pray right now that if God, God, if you don't do this, it's never going to happen. I need you to change me, to free me of my competitive nature and to give me your very heart and mind of compassion. Would you transform my life? Would you restore compassion? I want to care, personally identify with other people. I want to see lives change. I want to, I want to live so that I can give glory to your name. Jesus, would you change me? Make me compassionate. Just pray.